0: Hello everyone and welcome to this new session of MEM podcast. I have one of my ST4 cardiology colleagues with me here today and we're going to speak about atrial fibrillation. Hello. Hi. My name is Dr. Shubha doctor. I'm one of the cardiology ST4s in Northampton General, East Midlands. To understand the atrial fibrillation, first of all, it's a narrow complex tachycardia. So in the ECG, it should be a heart rate above 100. QRS should be less than three small squares the other criteria for AF is it has to be irregular so RR interval in your ECG would be different between different beats if these three are satisfied then we can think of it as an atrial fibrillation the other thing to look in the ECG is you wouldn't be able to see any P waves in atrial fibrillation so now to understand whether atrial fibrillation is fast or not we look at the heart rate and if it's above 100 we call it atrial fibrillation with fast ventricular response. And if it's below 100, we call it rate-controlled atrial fibrillation. To define the duration of AF, a new onset AF is AF which has happened in less than 48 hours. Persistent AF is when it stays for more than seven days. And permanent AF is when you have atrial fibrillation for more than a year. It's the most common cardiac arrhythmia in UK with a 3% prevalence above 20 years of age. And we've got 1.4 million people in England with this condition currently. The common causes of AF are thyroid problems, increased caffeine intake, stress. They're sometimes associated with hypertension, stroke, lung diseases like PE. It does not always give symptoms. And sometimes it can just be an incidental finding when somebody comes in to have a regular checkup or something else done. The common symptoms that people can have with atrial fibrillation, feeling of palpitation or fluttering of their heart, feeling short of breath or feeling dizzy. Sometimes they can also have chest pain. Feeling of palpitation, if you ask your patient to tap on the table of how it feels like, is often characteristic because they will tap in an irregular fashion. The reason for this is people who have got paroxysmal atrial fibrillation might be in normal rhythm when they see you. So it's very difficult to diagnose what was their palpitation. However, you'll never start treating for atrial fibrillation unless you find evidence on an ECG documented. The common treatment for atrial fibrillation is a two-way approach where you either do rate control or rhythm control. We'll talk about rate control first. So for rate control, basically we do drug therapy to control their heart rate. One, to prevent them from going into atrial fibrillation with fast ventricular response and also to try to keep them in sinus rhythm, if possible, in people with paroxysmal AF. The most common rate limiting drugs that you would come around would be beta blockers. And the common ones used are bisoprolol or sotalol or atenolol, more often bisoprolol due to its cardioselective nature. You can use drugs like calcium channel blocker. The other group of drugs that we use in AF, particularly paroxysmal AF, is flecainide, which can be used as a pill in a pocket. So you tell your patient to take a flicanide whenever they feel palpitation. The other option is to give them regular flicanide. Regarding chemical cardioversion, which is rhythm control, the drug to use is amiodarone and you can use it orally or intravenously. Whenever you start someone amiodarone, you should talk to them about the common side effects and particularly the long-term ones, which are risk of thyroid problems and risk of pulmonary fibrosis, which is irreversible. With IV amiodarone, make sure they have got a void bore cannula or preferentially a central line before you give, as it is thromboflavitic and can cause skin necrosis of extroversial. The other option of rhythm controlling is to electrically cardiovert them with a synchronized DC cardioversion. If your patient is stable, this can be done on an outpatient basis. And before coming in, people should be anticoagulated for at least four weeks. If they have got new-onset atrial fibrillation, which is less than 48 hours of duration, and you're sure about it, you can try DC cardioversion without anticoagulation. In patients who are symptomatic and unstable, by which we mean they're hypertensive, or they're having chest pain, or they're having severe shortness of breath, they can have emergency DC cardioversion with support of our anesthetic colleagues. In that case, we have to consent them for the risk of thromboembolism. Sometimes in tertiary centers, you can do TOE-guided cardioversion, where you do a transesophageal echocardiogram to look for any clot in the left atrial appendage before cardioverting. Regarding assessing a patient with atrial fibrillation, it's common clinical examination of particularly their cardiology and respiratory system. So you auscultate their lungs to look for any evidence of fluid overload or pulmonary congestion, which will be fine inspiratory basal crackles. You look into their JVP, which will be elevated if they're in heart failure and you auscultate to see if there is any murmurs that you can appreciate. The other thing about murmurs is AF can be classified into valvular AF and non-valvular AF. Valvular AF means atrial fibrillation associated with mitral stenosis. The only thing to remember about this is if you've got someone who has atrial fibrillation with mitral stenosis, the only anticoagulant you can use is warfarin. Let's talk about anticoagulation now. So any patient who has got atrial fibrillation, has got a higher risk of having a stroke from an individual who is of the same age and with no other medical problems. We use something called CHAD-VASC score to calculate the risk of stroke in someone with AF to find out what is their percentage risk per year of having stroke. Look at their age, look at their gender, look at if they've got any history of heart failure, previous stroke, hypertension, any vascular disease. You can Calculate this using the app MDCalc, which is very good, and it tells you the percentage stroke risk as well. And the common consensus is, if it's a female patient, a CHADVAS score of 2 or above would be enough to consider anticoagulation, and then a male patient, a CHADVAS score of 1 or above. The reason for that is a gender female gives you a score of 1. So for females, you have to have a score of 2 before you consider anticoagulation. The other bit to talk about anticoagulation is you have to also make sure that they don't have risk of bleeding. This can be simple history-taking to see if they've got any previous history of GI bleed, any previous history of cerebral hemorrhage, or any history of bleeding tendencies. But there's also another score called hass Blood score which can let you decide whether the risk of bleeding is high or not. The only thing to remember is has blood score does not make your decision. It's just a clinical guide to assess the risk of bleeding. So if you think someone has got high risk of stroke, even if the blood is high, you can still consider anticoagulation. You just have to have an open conversation with the patient about the risks and benefits. Agents of anticoagulation, nowadays we prefer novel anticoagulants, namely apixaban, rivaroxaban, edoxaban. The doses for apixaban, 5 milligram BD. For rivaroxaban, is 20 milligram OD. And for edoxaban is 30 or 60 milligram OD, depending on your renal function and your age. The dose of rivaroxaban should also be adjusted if their renal function goes down. Important thing to remember, particularly if you're prescribing in the ward or in the clinic, is none of the drugs are modified for the renal function according to GFR. You have to measure a creatine clearance to make sure that you're giving the right dose. The other bit is for epixaban, you have... To have a reduced dose of 2.5 milligram BD, you need to have three criteria fulfilled, which is your body weight, your creatinine, and your age. And if you only have two out of three criteria positive, then you qualify for the reduced dose. This is important as we have got increased number of people that we see in our clinics who are on a lower dose of Pixaban who shouldn't be, and that means they're not getting enough protection against stroke. For a PACE's scenario, if you have someone with atrial fibrillation, it is likely that you will have a valve issue. So the examination pattern would be particularly focusing on cardiovascular examination, so pulse and blood pressure, auscultation for murmurs, palpation to see if there's any right ventricular heave, palpating the apex to see it's in proper position, and respiratory examination to see if there's any evidence of fluid overload, so auscultation of the base of the lungs, looking at any pedal edema. The other thing is to look if there's any evidence of any thyroid disorders. One of the other modes of treatment for atrial fibrillation is ablation. You would not have to learn about ablation unless you're training for cardiology and particularly electrophysiology, subspecialty in cardiology. It's much easier to know about this so that you can talk to patients about it. This is an option that's more relevant to particularly younger individuals who have got less comorbidities, as it's an invasive procedure with risks of pericardial diffusion and needing major surgery. What we do in this case is we take them to a lab. We try to find out what's the point of the atrium, where the atrial fibrillation originated from, and they try to then block that area by either using heat or cold so that you don't get any electricity passing through that area to find that the atrial fibrillation doesn't come back. One of the common things is we have found out through research that most of the time the focus of atrial fibrillation is around where the pulmonary veins come off from the atrium. So sometimes they do pulmonary vein isolation which is basically a circumferential ablation around the site of pulmonary veins. I think that should be enough to know about ablation from an MRCP and an IMT point of view. Sometimes in atrial fibrillation you can have something we call a syndrome. Where they have got atrial fibrillation, but sometimes when they flick into their normal rhythm, they go too slow, or sometimes they go into AF with fast ventricular response, and sometimes they have got very slow AF. In those patients, you have to consider putting a pacemaker in, because otherwise you wouldn't be able to give them the adequate amount of rate limiting drugs. One more thing that I want to let all the trainees know is it's very difficult to understand if your patient of atrial fibrillation has gone into complete heart block, because the common thing to assess complete heart block on an ECG is that the P waves and the QRS are not related to each other an atrial fibrillation ECG won't have P waves. So if you have any gentleman who is known to atrial fibrillation who is coming to you with bradycardia and looking at the ECG you can see only QRS complexes but they are regular. Please keep in mind that this can be complete heart block. Please liaise with your cardiology registrar or your senior registrar to see if you need any help assessing this ECG but make sure that you monitor this patient Thank you so much Subha, for going through the management of atrial fibrillation with us.